December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. Welcome to the Tales of the Justice Society of America. I am Scott Gardner. And I am Michael Bailey. And this is a, let's see, this is episode 37 of the show. And this is also a two-parter. This is a continuation sequel sort of thing to this week's episode of Back to the Bins, number 64. Five, if memory serves. Yes. So make sure that you've listened to that before you're listening to this, because in that one we uh, we covered the history of a character who is going to make his All Star Squadron debut this episode. And it's right there on the cover, so we can say it is the <laughs> sensational return of Steve. So there you go. Um, I guess I'm handling this one, and we're gonna we're just gonna get we're we're gonna. Cut out all the preliminaries, folks. We're getting, folks. We're getting right into the episode this week. So this is All Star Squadron number eight, cover date April 1982, cover price of sixty cents. And according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, this book was released on January 28th, 1982. The story title is Afternoon of the Assassins, and the page count goes down this issue from 27 to 24. Okay, writers, because there are technically two. There is Roy Thomas, and the, who wrote the main part of the issue, and Jerry Conway, who wrote the Steel sequence. Uh, we have pencilers, Adrian Gonzalez, who did the all-star portion, and Don Heck, who did the Steel sequence. And it was all inked by Jerry Ordway, colored by Carl Gafford, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Len Wein. All-star squadron roll call is Adam... Firebrand 2, Hawkgirl, Johnny Quick, Liberty Bell, Robot Man, Shining Knight, and the sensational return of Steel, the Indestructible Man. Cover is unfortunately by Joe Kubert. 
So getting right into the synopsis, a Nazi agent called the Black Assassin attacks Winston Churchill while the Prime Minister gives a speech at the halls of the Canadian Parliament in Ottawa. Liberty Bell and Shining Knight leap to Churchill's defense, but the assassin manages to slip free and get clear, get a clear shot at his target. Suddenly, the hero known as Steel comes out of nowhere and makes quick work of the Black Assassin. In an attempt to kill the Prime Minister, the Nazi activates a bomb belt, but Steel takes the full brunt of the explosion. Despite his wounds, Steel manages to give Churchill a book before the Shining Knight takes him away to get medical attention. After finishing his speech, hmm, some chicken, some neck, Churchill visits Steele in a nearby hospital where Belle is trying to find some information about the mystery hero from her fellow All-Stars. During that conversation, Belle is informed that the President of the United States wants Steele brought back to Washington as soon as possible. Soon afterward, a special train rockets from Canada bound for the United States. During the journey, Churchill explains that the book Steele had given him was a journal that reveals that Steele is actually Hank Haywood, who joined the Marines after the German attack on Poland. In November of 1939, Haywood was returning to camp when he spotted some saboteurs trying to blow up the ammo dump. An accident caused the explosives to go off, and Haywood was gravely injured. Only the brilliant researcher... Dr. Gilbert Giles and his experimental medical procedures saved Haywood. In fact, the process enhanced Haywood, making him stronger and faster and better than a normal man. On a visit in London, Steele stopped the black assassin from his first attempt to kill the the then lord, first lord of the admiralty, Winston Churchill. Steele agrees to go on a mission for Churchill to kidnap Adolf Hitler. Haywood's journal goes blank after describing an aerial battle that ended with Steele getting shot down over Germany, little like Ben Affleck in Pearl Harbor, except not really. Elsewhere, Baron Blitzkrieg Blitzkrieg and Zwerg listen in on the story as well. Blitzkrieg is pleased with how things have gone thus far and feels that his backup plan cannot fail. Back on the train, the assassin known as Kung, or Kung, or I don't even know how to pronounce that, lands and uses his ability to transform into animal forms to become a tiger. He is surprised by Hawk Girl, who attacks the Japanese agent. Kung manages to overcome her, and it's only after the timely arrival of Johnny Quick that saves her life. Robot Man takes on Kung next, but the assassin manages to slip past him and get to his intended target, Winston Churchill. Kung stalks the Prime Minister, but Steele comes around just in time to once again save Churchill's life. Kung escapes, but the All-Stars and Churchill are relieved that the man known as Steele has arrived. Meanwhile, Baron Blitzkrieg is incensed at Kung's intrusion, but is still satisfied that his plan is still on track, especially with his special agent ready in the wings. A special agent named Steele. Dun-dun-dun. Alrighty, getting through the historical notes real quick. The black assassin that we see in this issue was a once-and-done villain and is never seen again. Which is actually too bad, because I kind of liked his design. Um, The speech Churchill gives before the Canadian Parliament after the assassination attempt did happen. The reason that the Parliament looks much like the U.S. Congress is that reference material could not be found at the time. Canadian Prime Minister William Lyons Mackenzie King is referred to in a caption on page 7, but never shown in the comic itself. 
as we kind of discussed in the back of back to the bins issue, Steel the Indestructible Man first appeared in the aptly named Steel the Indestructible Man number one, March 1978. The series came out as part of what has become known as the DC Explosion, where DC Comics released a large number of titles and backup features all at once. Conway wrote the series with art by the underrated, in my opinion, Don Heck, and much like Conway's Firestorm, the Indestructible Man read like a Marvel book set in the DC Universe. <laughs> at, at, at this point, I wrote, it was a fantastic series and had the usual romantic conundrum and crazy villains. I have since amended my opinions <laughs> again. See the Back to the Bins issue. Uh, it was crap. <laughs> Steel, the Indestructible Man, was canceled after issue 5 during the DC implosion. Issue 6 appeared as part of the privately circulated Cancelled Comics Cavalcade. Pages 9, possibly 8, uh, through 17 of this issue were originally intended to be part of the 6th issue. Roy decided to incorpor- incorporate much of Don Heck's penciled art and Jerry Conway's script into the narrative. On page 9, we're given narrative captions that are excerpts from Steele's journal, which was a staple of the original Steele series, which we never mentioned, by the way. That all the narration was in his journal. That was kind of a, a, a big thing to overlook, don't you think? Yeah, you're, you know... <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely right. I never really thought about it before. I should have, too, because, to be honest, it kind of bugged me. <laughs> I liked it. I liked it a lot. The journal reveals that Steele was in London in his Hank Haywood identity as an aide to Major Morton. He was rather happy to be there, too, since he had been engaged to Dr. Giles' daughter, Gloria, and was forced to end that engagement at the insistence of Giles when he found out that Haywood was also the man called Steele. Steel was added to the series because Roy Thomas and editor Len Wein felt that a Captain America-type character was needed for the World War II setting, and I will agree with them completely. In addition to creating Firestorm and Steel, Jerry Conway also created The Punisher, killed Gwen Stacy, and has done a lot of work for the Law & Order series, uh, series, plural, particularly Law & Order Criminal Intent, which, where he served as co-executive producer. Uh, and if you want to hear an interview with him, go check out uh, issue 104 of Views from the Long Box, where my buddy Shag and I got to sit down with him. Nice guy. Hell of a nice guy. He probably never wants to speak to me again after what we said about the, the series in Back to the Bins. But <laughs> you, you pays your money and you takes your chances. I mean, I wouldn't mind actually talking to him about the series because I, I wonder what his personal. Th- I mean, I'm sure he'd have a lot of insight on it, you know, one way or the other. And I mean, you know, I mean, the series only lasted five issues, you know, and there's there's got to be a reason for that. So I would hope that he wouldn't take it, you know, too personally if if we busted on it because sales kind of bear us out. I think. <laughs> So we have Kung first appeared in Wonder Woman number 237, November 1978, during a storyline that took place in 1943. This issue backdated Kung to 1941, and oh my god, this cover to Wonder Woman number 237 is goofy as hell. (laughs) That doesn't look anything like a praying mantis. I like MacArthur here going, get back, Wonder Woman! I don't need a female to fight my battles! I love it. A fact file page featuring Shining Knight, Robot Man, and Johnny Quick appeared before this issue's installment of All-Star Comments. And really neat bits of artwork here, too. I like the Robot Man uh, pinup, quote-unquote, especially. 
And we had a special squadron note at the beginning of the letters page. It says, Few DC Heroes has been as much requested for quote-unquote membership in the purposefully amorphous All-Star Squadron by the letter-writing hordes as has the man called Steel, whose magazine had its own five-issue run a few years back under the aegis of creators Jerry Conway and Don Heck. In fact, a a sixth issue was completed when Steel the Indestructible Man was cancelled as part of a temporary cutback at the time. That's a very diplomatic way of putting it. Mm Mm-hmm. And in many ways, as Scott Gardner is about to completely agree with, it was one of the best and most important of the series. I would say it was the best and most important, not one of. It was the best. Thus, Len and Roy decided to take the majority of the pages of that sixth issue, previously unprinted except in Xerox format, for a very limited audience, and have it partly rewritten and totally relettered and re-inked to fit into issues eight and nine of All-Star Squadron. Especially after after you've read the conclusion of Hank Hedwood's War Diary next month, we think you'll see why we did it. Let us know how you feel about Steel as an All-Star, okay? Not that we ever doubted you would. And there is an interesting letter to me in this uh, in this issue of All Star Squadron. It was uh, from Wally Pods- Podrazic, care of McGraw Hill Paperbacks in New York, New York. And he wrote in to comment on how television was presented in the title, and to either directly or indirectly plug a book he had written. He wrote that while TV did exist in 1941, the programming "quote unquote" beast was different than that of 1981. Coast-to-coast hookups were still a decade away, and experimental programming was spotty at best, ranging from stock film filler to cooking tips. Despite this, Pod Razik felt that on Earth 2 it was quite possible for Libby Lawrence to have a television news show, but added that it was probably a simulcast of her radio program. He also mentioned that broadcasting hours were cut back tremendously during 1942 and 1943, and Podrazik's final thought was to recommend that Roy play with TV in Nazi German, Germany, where sets were quite common in public places, like hospitals, and carried propaganda, propaganda broadcasts uh, through 1943 in Berlin and 1944 in Paris. And Roy thanked Podrazik for the ideas and the verification that Libby's TV broadcast was possible. And then I turn it over to Scott. <laughs> okay. We just running through notes on the issue then? Yes, sir. Okay, right off the bat, once again, we have a misleading cover. It's not bad enough that it's a Joe Kubert cover, <laughs> but then it's completely misleading because it says that uh, in Mortal Kombat with the martial arts monster Kung... I pronounce it Kung because it looks like it rhymes with dung, so I, I figured that that's very apt. To save the <laughs> life of Winston Churchill. That's not Winston Churchill. That's Mikhail Gorbachev. <laughs> Smoking a big old stogie. <laughs> All he needs is that like bird poop on his head, and it would totally be Mikhail Jesus, Gorbachev. Man. Oh, what was that thing on his head? I thought it was a birthmark. Oh, okay. It looked like a yeah, that a report wire stain. Okay, we talked about this briefly last issue, or last episode, and uh, I did look it up. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to actually listen to any of these, so you guys can check it out for yourself and and see if this is, uh, if it's worthwhile or even legit. But if you go to www.archive.org forward slash details forward slash Winston underscore Churchill, 
They have a veritable shitload of Winston Churchill speeches there, including the one he gave last issue and the one that he gives this issue. So check that out. Let me know. You if, really uh, need to post a link to that. I will. I will. I, I will put that in the uh, in the show notes. I downloaded both of those speeches, but my day was full today, and I did not get a chance to listen to either one of them. So I hope that the I hope they are legit and of some listenable quality. And and you really need to send me a link to that like now. So. <laughs> All right. Or or through the course of this episode, please through the Skype chat. Thank you. Oh, awesome. You know, I was going to run through the differences between um, the unpublished sixth issue and the issue, half of it, basically, because this, this really is like half of the unpublished sixth issue. But that I think that would just be long and kind of dull. So I'm just going to co- point out a couple of uh, noteworthy things that occurred to me as I was comparing the two of them. When you okay. get to the bottom of page 12 is kind of where the jump starts because they did take out two full pages from the uh, unpublished version of number six. And uh, while I'm thinking about it, I want to recommend to you guys that you go out and seek out canceled comics cavalcade issues one and two. They are freely available on the net. If you, you know, seek out the places that have CBRs and such. Now here's why I recommend this. Despite how you may feel about downloading comics and such, this material is not reprinted anywhere. So it's not like, you know, the typical argument I hear about downloading stuff is, you know, you're stealing or, you know, you're you're taking it away from some artist. And they're not going to get paid. That, that's not the case with this stuff. So, you know, you don't feel bad about it. I, I strongly recommend seeking it out because it's actually really interesting stuff. Yeah, they did talk about putting the uh, Secret Society of Supervillains issue into the proposed secret society of supervillains showcase presents but that never happened so it's too bad it looks good too because that was the issue that was going to cross over secret society and uh freedom fighters so Mm -hmm. it's a shame that that didn't happen page 14 the next to last panel completely different art in that it's a very photo referenced picture of uh winston churchill looks looks awesome i mean i really really like it but it's uh you can well, even tell it doesn't really fit with uh, the rest of the art on the page. But that is the skill of Jerry Ordway. Jerry Ordway, in addition to having his own style, can dead on capture a person's likeness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can. And this is a great... That was actually one of my notes. This is a great example of that. Um, and, and you're right. It does look different from everything, but at the same time, I thought it was really cool. Oh yeah, yeah, I do too. I, I like it better than the one that was in the uh, the original issue. I just thought it was worth noting that it, it was one of the few instances. I mean, I think Ordway did an absolutely extraordinary job of filling the art out and really making it pop and really making it look good. I mean, he's very complimentary to um, Don Heck, but I just pointed out that one particular panel because that's the one panel in this that there's really no Don Heck in that particular panel. It, no, it's it's a completely original panel to this, even though it's it's the same basic thing. You know, that, that was in, in the unfinished issue, it was also a headshot of Churchill, 
And I think he even says exactly the same things in the word balloons, but the art's completely, completely different. I just thought it worth pointing out. Plus, as we flip the page from 14 to page 15, an entire page is missing from the unpublished issue. I point that out only because I really liked that page. It, It was the setup for the mission where we get a little bit of the chatter among the guys as they're in the plane headed out and about to make their parachute drop. And then there was one really dynamic panel as the guys were actually jumping out. And Steele just had this really cool dynamic pose as he was you know, plunging toward the earth before he uh, was going to pull his chute. So I, I just thought that was worth uh, pointing out because I really liked that. I would have loved to have seen that particular panel filled. But... Ordway more than made up for that because on page 16, the third panel replaces whatever was below, you know, on the bottom half of this page in the unfinished issue, he took those panels out and instead gives us the original cover to what would have been steel number six, fully rendered, fully colored. It's freaking gorgeous. I love this. It's steel standing on top of this Nazi plane and just ripping the canopy off of it. It's really dynamic. The glass shattering, and he's just like, I am going to beat the living piss out of you. Yeah. (sighs) Actually, you know what? The panel, now that I think about it, the panel that gets replaced is the one that shows Steel. He does the same thing in the other panel. It's just not near as dynamic the only thing that I miss is that it shows him actually grab the pilot and heave him out. That was cool. I like that because he, he very unceremoniously just grabs the guy by the scruff of the neck and chucks his ass right out of the plane. I really like that. You see the guy plummeting going, ah, as he plummets to the earth. Oh, that God, I'm cool. an idiot. Uh-oh. The name is Kung. Like Kung Fu. Oh, God. You know, I didn't even oh, get oh, shit, oh, oh, No, that's that's horrible. That's right. You know what? At perfectly play. Oh my God! We couldn't have timed this better, though. With your with your saying that of Kung for Kung Fu, page twenty, first panel, Hawk Girl flies in and says something to Kung. He says, "Okay, keeping in mind that this dude is Oriental." He says, "Ah, so." And blah, blah, blah. And he goes on. And thinking, All right, look, I hate political correctness as much as the next guy. But come but, on. But ah, uh, so come on. That's, I mean, I'm offended. You know, if I can be offended by something like this, then you know it's just fucking wrong, okay? That's just, oh, man. Last note on this. I, again, I, I'm trying to save time, so I'm not going to go into things that I think might be long and a little bit boring. I'll give you the notes so that you can check it out yourself. But if you go to wikipedia.org forward slash wiki forward slash dc underscore implosion it will give you a long and very interesting article all about the history of the dc implosion plus it will give you a breakdown of everything that was contained in canceled comics cavalcade issues one and two and where some of that stuff actually did wind up in print i thought that was very interesting because i was hard pressed off the top of my head to remember other than steel number six what from those books ever did actually make it into print and surprisingly yeah fire yeah some of the firestorm stuff 
um, the Black Lightning stuff. I don't have the list in front of me, so I'm going strictly off the top of my head. But I found it to be a very interesting article, and maybe you guys will too. So go check that out. Some of that stuff has actually wound up in print. But again, I, I, I feel it worth reiterating. Uh, download those issues. You're, you're not hurting anybody. You know, Check it out because it's, it's good stuff, and it's an interesting peek into the DC that might have been. Alrighty, I guess it's up to me then. My notes. I liked the Black Assassin. I liked the design of the character. Uh, he had a very kind of like ghost death look to him. Uh, not either of those, neither of the, either of those characters, but he looked he looked really kind of scary for a Nazi villain. Not the best Nazi dis- design because basically he's got like a hood, and the only thing that really says that he's a Nazi. Uh, is the like the belt he has across him, which has swastikas on it. But he's got swashbuckler boots, and I am a sucker for swashbuckler boots. I really am, especially drawn by George Perez, especially the Taskmaster outfit. I, yeah, this guy reminds me of the Taskmaster. It's funny you should say that because I was just thinking that very exact thing at, at the moment you said it, the Taskmaster. I was thinking, who does this guy remind me of? There's only one problem with this guy, though. What? He's called the Black Assassin. Yeah. He's not black. I mean, if comics this... have taught me anything, if you've got black in front of your name, then you're black, right? Because we're too black stupid to look at them and realize that they're, you know, that they're uh, that they're not white, you know, like black lightning. You know, it couldn't well, that... be lightning. It had to be black lightning. Or you know, well, it's... then again, the Black Pirate was purple, so. That's I guess, true. I That's guess right. that falls apart upon closer scrutiny. Page four, as much as I like Adrian Gonzalez, especially when Ordway is inking him, I hate when fight choreography is screwed up this much. Because the Black Assassin is falling backwards, and Steel's fist is thrust forward. Whereas, if he was really flying backwards, shouldn't there be more of an uppercut motion on the part of Steel? Like he just punched him backwards? This is true. I think this is where Rob Liefeld learned all of his fight choreography, though. Oh, come on. He would make that mistake again and again and again. I'm sorry. The whole setup to the origin of Steel was great. I love... The explanation of his origin in that, like, three-quarters of a page was was perfect. Yeah. You got everything you needed to know, and they even managed to draw that, like, X-rayed version of Hank Haywood as crappily as it was in that first issue of Steel. So they even captured that. But I will tell you this. In this explosion, he looks like he's getting fucked up. Because like reminds- all, all of his clothes are getting ripped off, not just a portion. So It reminds me of when they would show you flashbacks of how Alec Holland got blowed up in the Swamp Thing origin issue. It, it's kind of done the same style. I like it. it. It's really good. And that picture that you referenced of, uh, of Haywood reminds me of, do you remember the Visible Man yes. model? <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. It's like Slim Goodbody. Um, yeah. <laughs> the... Don Heck, Jerry Conway sequence. Love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. Nothing wrong with it. Ordway. This is what I was explaining in the previous 
in, in the back to the bins from this week is I think my opinion of the original Steel series was colored by A, what was done with Steel through the course of the series in general and what Roy Thomas did with him but also with this art. So when I think of the Don Heck art, I think of the Don Heck art as inked by Jerry Ordway. Right. Not, not the Don Heck art. Don Eckhart. Eckhart. Think about the future. The <laughs> Don Heck art as inked by Joe Giella or whoever else was inking him on it. Because you're right. Ordway just adds so much depth. The scene where Dr. Guile says, get the fuck away from my daughter, you freak. Uh, okay, that's not exactly what he says, but it's, it, it's, it breaks it down pretty much like that. That's an Ordway face. Dr. Guile's face on page 13, that's completely Ordway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Ordway added so much to this page, it's not even funny. Now, especially comparing it to the original, it was not as nearly detailed, in my opinion. And he does have that, he, he's got an angry look on his face. And I like this, I like the fact... Because I, I'm kind of about the hero having a certain complication in his life. And it's very Marvel. It's very Stanley. It's very Spider-Man. You know, I was a, you know, I just used my powers for my own self, and Uncle Ben died. And you, know, you can't if you want to be Steel the Indestructible Man, you can't be with my daughter. And he's really broken up about leaving because it takes him all of two panels to just freaking walk away. But his steel costume should be in a trash can there on the, on the one side. <laughs> um, Got to agree with you. Replacing that one image with the cover. Damn, whoever said this is what we got to do needed a freaking raise. Yep. Because it's just beautiful. It's just brilliant. Unfortunately, after page uh, 18, this issue really kind of falls apart because Kung sucks. Uh, yep. Not a really good villain at all. The artwork, I think, suffers a little in this part of it. It doesn't seem as dynamic, uh, which is kind of sad. I don't like him turning into a praying mantis. It's really kind of stupid, but I will say this. Through the last couple pages of this story, Baron Blitzkrieg looks awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And on the last page, we get arrows telling you how to read the page. I love this kind of stuff. I really do. I don't know why. <laughs> look down here. Now look over here. But it was a good cliffhanger, my special agent whose name is Steel. That's just like, oh, I've got to read the next issue now. And this is the first time I think Ord, uh, Thomas has really done that, where he's ended on such a cliffhanger that you got to read it. I just got to read it. <laughs> so that was really cool. Except for the last part and the cover, I love this issue. I really do. I love issue nine more, uh, simply because of a certain fight between two men of steel that happens in that issue. Sweet. Ah. I, I really, really like the very last panel on page 22. It, the way Robot Man's hand is sticking outside the panel box, yeah. it almost looks like he's using the panel border to slow his skid down that snowy hill. Or that it's, he's trying to grab it, onto that branch. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really dynamic. I like that. I, I like when, the, when things come out from the boxes like that. It's cool. Sometimes it's cool. Sometimes 
Todd McFarlane and Infinity Incorporated, I'm looking at you. It's not. But we'll get to that when we get to those issues. Because <laughs> I think there's going to be a little disagreement about those issues. I'm um, ready to... Oh, I'm sorry. That was it. I am so ready to see Baron Blitzkrieg punch somebody. Yeah. Now that he's back and now that he's standing around looking totally buff and awesome, hit somebody already. Get into a tussle. I'm ready to see this guy throw down. I really want to see him throw down with, like, Superman or Robot Man or Captain Marvel or somebody. I'm so ready for it. You and I have said it before. We need the Captain Marvel Superman versus Captain Nazi Baron Blitzkrieg fight. Oh, that, that needs to happen, dude. That so needs to happen. You and I need to chip in and like commission rich buckler to draw that oh, i could uh, yeah. get back on our financial fee because i'll take a scan and you can have the original and that'll be I, fine but. i think he could i still think he could do it too because he did uh i'm pretty sure it was uh, a redo but there was an alter ego not too long i want to say within the past year or so of it was a. Uh, uh, what do you call that? Where where the original artist redoes some piece of art they've done. I don't for. know what that's called. I, I know there's a term for it and shit. I'm blanking on it. But anyway, he did that with a cover of Alter Ego. He redid the cover to Superman versus Shazam, one of those giant, you know, limited collector's edition things. Uh-huh. Where where it's them just standing toe to toe or actually they're they're floating in the sky and just wailing the hell out of each other. And he redrew it, and it's still as beautiful today as it was then. So he's still got the chops, man. He or, could totally do it. Or have Jerry Ordway do it. I'd, I'd pay for that, too, because I love Ordway's Captain Marvel to begin with. Can I, can I ask you something, though? I, 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 I don't want to piss you off or, or anything like that, but i got to be honest. I don't think Ordway's got the chops anymore. I, I looked at his last couple pro- – like that uh, – that in uh, what was it? JSA annual where Earth Two came back. I didn't like it, dude. Was it was it him or was it his? Maybe it was his inker because I can't remember who inked him. Could have been his inker. Could have been his colorist because his Superman Batman stuff has been amazing. Really? Yes, it's been okay. awesome. Maybe maybe it was just something I, about. No, it. he still has it. He still okay. has it. I mean, yeah, he I... had it in Infinite Crisis. He had it. That fight between the two Superman was great. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I did like that. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot that was. I was thinking that was uh, Perez that did that. But yeah, you're right. No, I I, I think he does. He did a, a series called Red Menace that was written by uh, Danny Bilson and Paul DeMaio. Who How was that? Years. It was pretty good. Uh, the story was pretty solid, but the artwork was great. But you see, I you know as you are about. Let's say John Byrne, mm-hmm. or I, I, I'm trying to think of another artist that you are just unapologetically enamored with. Uh, I am with Jerry Ordway. I really am. To me, the man can't do any wrong. And you know me, I don't say that very often. You know, mm-hmm. I'm usually the type of person that even with my heroes, I'll find their feet of clay. But Ordway is like the one artist, dude. Where I'll be like, ah, just, just, just give it to me and I'll love it. <laughs> I mean, don't really get me bad. wrong. I, I consider myself a fan of his, but he's one of those guys where there, there have been some things he's done where I just didn't feel like it was up to snuff 
um, I was going to say of his older stuff, but there's even a little bit like when he started to sort of take over from Byrne toward the end of Byrne's Fantastic Four. I didn't really care for that. It looked funny to me, and I can't, I couldn't exactly tell you why. But for the most part, I, I would consider myself a fan of Ordway. But that's, I guess that's why it surprised me that his JSA stuff just didn't thrill me because he did that one annual. And then, if memory serves, he did like the last several issues, maybe even like the last year of JSA before they canceled it. And then it became Justice uh, Society of America. I don't think he did. I know Perez did the last couple of issues, the one year later issues. Yeah, that's what I'm, I think. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, because it was right around the did time he do the covers. No, Ordway did draw that, and I really yeah. liked it. Yeah, Perez. I think Perez might have done the covers, the covers. and right. and Ordway did the interiors. And yeah, there was something. But you know what? I need to go back and look at it again because I'm wondering maybe the inker is the same on both of those projects, and maybe it's the inker. I, I don't know. I I'm probably talking out my ass. All I can tell you is that somehow I it just didn't thrill me. I I, I didn't like it, and I can't That's really fair. tell you why. You know, like everything else, when it comes down to just strict opinion, there, 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 there's not too many things that I think you and I are going to jump down each other's throat about. Right. Because it, it is just that. It's an opinion based on likes and dislikes. I have grown, you know, and Ordway is one of my sacred cows. So um, that, well, that's, I, just, just, that's just how it is. I just didn't want it to come across as me dissing the guy because no, no, I, mean, I, I consider myself a fan. Those Those covers he did... Uh, all throughout Power of Shazam. Every goddamn one of them ought to be a poster or a t-shirt or something. They're fucking gorgeous. And and when he finally takes over the pencils of this series of All-Star Squadron, artistically, that is my favorite era. And the only reason that I put it above Buckler's is that we didn't get enough of Buckler. Right. I'll buy Uh, that. But because I I, th- I think Ordway was on was consistently the penciler enough that it 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 gave the series the distinctive look and that is why he is more associated with the All Star Squadron than Buckler because you know Buckler created it Ordway helped define it you know somewhere and that's least... not me dissing Buckler by the way. By any stretch of the imagination, no, just to clear that, that up. No, they're they're very different artists, I think, because I think one of the reasons I really like Buckler is I like my super people lean. You know, okay. I, I like them when they're when they're very lean and muscular. I I even Superman. I think the only time I ever liked a a huge or bulky Superman was when when burn in the very early stuff with burn especially when for some strange reason when burn did legends he made superman fucking ginormous i mean he was huge and had this like massive chest i really liked that but when anybody else does it i i don't really like it and i i have to be honest i never really warmed to um ordway's post crisis on infinite earth superman there was something about the Jay Leno face and chin and all that that I, I, I just I liked everything else he did in the books. I loved the way he drew Lois Lane. I really liked his uh, Lex Luthor and and I dug everything else. But there was something about his Superman that that I liked his like his All Star stuff. I loved the way he drew Superman in that because he was he was the leaner style of Superman that I really like. 
You know, it's really funny that you mention that because when I first started collecting the Superman books in 87, Ordway was the artist that I liked the least. Mm-hmm. And the turning point with Ordway and me, as far as me starting to appreciate and then back appreciate some of his, some of his work, was the issue, I believe it was 38... Uh, 37 or 38 of Superman when Ordway had taken over as writer and penciler. He's floating in space, right? No, he he goes to pick up Jimmy Olsen. And you have the first page of Jimmy Olsen like basically sleeping in a makeshift bedroom at Star Labs that is made of somebody's office. And then the next, the splash page was Superman standing in the shadow, holding his cape and saying, basically, I'm ready for you, Jim. And Superman in that image, he wasn't overly bulky, but he was still pretty big, and he ju- and the S symbol was fucking perfect. And that's when I went, oh. <laughs> I'll have to go back and look at that. And from then on, that's what, that's what I... I really gravitated towards Ordway. Ordway is my second favorite Superman artist. Behind who? Don't hate me, but Dan Jurgens. No, no, I, no, not at all. No, hell no. I like Dan Jurgens. You know, it's funny because I remember when uh, when Booster Gold came out, I was a huge uh, Booster Gold fan, right from issue one. I, I can remember the day I bought it and loved that series. But when Superman showed up in, I think it's six and seven, if I remember properly, the the origin of Booster Gold issues, I remember thinking at that time, I'd love to see this guy do Superman someday. And just a couple of years later, he did, and it was, yeah, it was awesome. It yeah, was, I, I always liked his Superman. As Jeffrey and I have discussed, it was a slow rise. Because in the first couple issues where he was drawing him in adventures, it was kind of clunky. Then Art Thibbert started inking him, inking over him, and it was a little better. But I think when Brett Breeding yeah. became his inker, and he took over Superman. And it's something about when the guy get, when a person gets to take over Superman that everything kind of changes. And that is when, because really and truly... As much as I like Ordway, and as much as I like Burns Superman, Jurgens was on that character for a decade. Right. And that amount of time allows you to say, I have defined this character. Right. For this period of time. Because as much as I didn't mind Ron Friends' pencils, I was all I was disappointed when Jurgens stepped down as a penciler. Because I was a really big fan, especially of his Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. He drew the best Clark Kent of anybody, just flat out anybody. But uh, I guess we should get into the ads and then the elsewhere in the DCU if we want to <laughs> DC multiple. Oh, we were having such a good conversation too. No, but no, I I got one last question to ask okay. you regarding Ordway though. This this occurred to me. I think uh, I think this actually occurred to me the last time we were talking about Power of Shazam. Do you think the fact that Ordway did deliver such absolutely just stunning, beautiful covers on that series? Do you think that that ultimately hurt that book? What because Power of Shazam? Hell yes. Yeah, yeah uh, because you open it up and then the the art inside just didn't live up. 
the writing was fine. My only criticism of that book is that he established the Marvel family way too fast in that first oh, yeah. year. Yeah. Otherwise, I really liked that title. But I'll tell you, uh, when I got that first issue and I and I take it home and I have that beautiful Ordway cover with the blue background in the subway and Billy Batson yelling Shazam and Shazam and he draws the Shazam serial the Captain Marvel serial uniform mm-hmm. the original uniform which I always preferred yep. to just the kind of spandex looking outfit because it was just more textured and it added something to the character um, and I open it up and it's nothing against Pete Krause who's not a bad artist but I wanted Ordway drawing that goddamn book right just flat out and 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 I think I told him that you know in a nice way obviously it's just uh but ultimately I think what hurt that series cuz when they tried to save it before cancellation is when he took over as penciler right and that's it's like oh, a little too little too late guys sorry you you missed the boat if you would have had cuz those you're absolutely right those painted covers oh my god yeah <laughs> Just, especially that one where he and Mary, Captain Marvel and Mary, are standing, fists on their hips, with the Shazam written out and the rock behind them. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, I like uh, I like that one. I like the one with uh, Captain Marvel Junior and Captain Nazi tussling because I I don't know what it is about Captain Marvel Junior. It's it's probably the only thing in the entire world that I share with Elvis Presley is a love for Captain Marvel Jr. I don't know what it is about that character, but I always thought he was cool as hell. And uh, and then there's the one where he's actually turning into Captain Marvel underwater. Yeah, and that was fucking cool. That's just that's just a neat idea and, that and the I'll- lightning could strike him underwater and he'd still turn into Captain Marvel. That's cool. And I tell you what, the greatest disappointment is that Ordway, finally, after two attempts by Roy Thomas, an unpublished attempt by John Byrne, we finally have a Shazam series. We finally have a definitive version of Captain Marvel for the DC Universe. And Jeff Johns gets a hold of Black Adam and Captain Marvel for JSA, and I liked both of them in that book. I really Mm -hmm. did. And then after Infinite Crisis, they just completely screwed that character up so badly. I have never, outside of Superman, I have not seen a character messed up that badly. See, I remain blissfully ignorant because I remember when when I started to hear some of the rumors of things. Uh, well, I, actually, I think it, what it, what it was was that that one book that came out. I think it was a buck. And it was the one that basically was a preview of all the stuff that they were going to do after Infinite Crisis. That was it, yeah. And I don't think I even read it, but I flipped through the Captain Marvel section. It was just like, bleh. They made made Freddy Captain Marvel, and they made Billy the Wizard, which is not the dynamic at all. Yeah, I have no interest in that. And and somebody pitched that, and and Dan DiDio said, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's go for that, because we can't make Captain Marvel work. Oh, did you hear though? You know how they had the Spectre showcase for Justice League Crisis on Two Earths, right? Uh huh. They have the Jonah Hex one coming out with uh, the Batman <sighs> one that's coming. I'm uh, dying for that. Uh, they've got a Green Arrow one for the Batman Superman Apocalypse. Yeah. 
one of the future ones that's coming out next year. I forget which with with, with which movie. Superman Shazam: The Return of Black Adam, which Ooh. is going to be twenty-two minutes long instead of eleven. Ooh. Now, which which story are they referencing? I have no idea, but I hope they're like doing one of those DC comics and an adaptation of one of those DC Comics Presents issues where Superman and Captain Marvel fought Black Adam. That would be cool. That would be totally oh. awesome. Like three of my favorite characters ever in one story. If they fuck this up, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a hostage. Because I tell you, to it. anytime Captain Marvel shows up in animation, I, I totally just geek the fuck out, and I, I totally do. Because when he showed up and actually fought Superman in JLU, I loved oh, it, loved it, loved it. Oh yeah! When he showed up in uh, Brave and the Bold, no, in uh, Public Enemies. Public enemies. I literally was jumping up and down on my couch, flipping out like a like a like a three year old on Mountain Dew. Man, I was flipping the hell out over that. I totally geeked out because the part where uh, where Batman comes up and finds Billy laying on the ground and says, "Say something, kid," or whatever he says, I just I, I mouthed it with him. Shazam! I knew it was coming, and it was fucking great. I just oh, I, I was I was such a little kid watching that because my my love for that character that, goes back so far, and he's just one of those guys. In, in, in a strange kind of way, I'm almost glad that he he is used so sparingly because it makes the moments like that when he's used perfectly. That much more special. It really does. I love it. I even dug the Brave and the Bold episode that happened. It wasn't the best. Yeah, I liked him, but I didn't like the rest. I didn't like the episode. But they kind of adapted that DC Comics Presents annual with Savannah getting the powers of Shazam. You know, I've never read that. I have it, but I I, I know the one you... Because he has like a green Shazam outfit, doesn't he? Yeah. Through the course of the story, he's like, call me... Um, Major uh, Marvel, or call me, or General Savannah. He, he eventually wants to be called General instead <laughs> of Captain. So uh, I have to dig that out and read it again. But I yeah. have kind of tentative plans for stuff like that. But we'll okay. Get, but I'll I'll reveal that when I got things firmed up. Um, Who did the interior on that? Do you know? Because I know I think, it has I a gorgeous. It was- uh-huh. I think it was Kane on the interior as well. Oh, okay, because I love the cover on that. I know you're not big on Superman doing Kane, but, uh, you know, I actually kind of dig it. I don't know why. I have no, I'm not I have no problems with Superman doing Kane. I have problems with Gil Kane doing Superman. Oh, is that what I said? Yeah, I was just, I was just giving you shit. I can't talk. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's what I meant was, was Gil Kane doing Superman. Because, you know, I'm really I'm not the biggest Gil Kane fan, you know, but, but certain... He's one of those I guys would, for certain things he does. I, I kind of dig on, and Superman see, was one of them. You got to understand it was it was during that '95 era where he was penciling those Jurgens written issues that I thought were just oh, okay. awful. Yeah, just completely awful. And that that Elseworld story he did. Well, because see, that was post crisis though, and that's the yeah. thing is that you know to me, I, I know we talked about this before, but I'm serious, dude. I don't know what it is. I, I know it probably doesn't make any logical sense. But after the crisis, I didn't want those old dudes handling Superman anymore. I, I wanted it to be 
the new you know, generation. The new generation, exactly. I know. I know that's probably totally wrong thinking, but that, that really was what I wanted. And so, you know what? I probably I don't remember those issues you're talking about, but I probably had the same exact reaction. Uh, I, more, I more than likely did. But I loved like the the pre-crisis stuff uh, with Kane. Not long before the crisis, I actually I, I dug that stuff. Uh, not so much, but that's just that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> not trying to influence anything. Uh, just to talk briefly about some of the ads uh, in this issue, because again, you know, the ads just aren't what they used to be, and we don't have a hostess ad. Though we did reenact one in Back to the Bins, so uh, you get to hear me doing accents. I don't know if that's a general warning to stay away. No, you were very good. That was that was excellent because you did it much much better than I ever could. Because I can't do accents to save my life. Well, you see, my Irish accent always goes back to the movie The Commitments, uh, where the guy's explaining why you know, like a bunch of Irish kids can do soul music, and he's like, you know, the Dubliners are the blacks of Europe, and the no, the the Irish are the blacks of Europe. And the Dubliners are the blacks of Ireland. And the Northside Dubliners are the blacks of, du- of, of Dublin. So say it once, say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. <laughs> and that's where I get it from. So I gotcha. Um, we got a Swamp Thing is back ad. I guess this is uh, advertising the Marty Pasco series. Yes. It's about to come out. Uh, soon to be yes. a major motion picture. Mm-hmm. Avico Embassy, and we have a, a three-part ad announcing Arian, Lord of Atlantis, every month in Warlord. Do you ever read that? Uh, no, but I uh, but I have like the first like thirty-five issues of the ongoing series uh, that I've never never read. A friend of mine said you need to buy these, so I said okay, and they were like in a fifty-cent bin. So uh, a fortieth anniversary spectacular, the amazing Amazon side by side with a gallery of DC's greatest heroines. For a supersized three-issue novel, and I still got to read those. We'll be covering that at some point yeah. because Huntress and uh, Power Girl are in it. And as I as I always point out, and I don't know why I do because it makes me sound like a dick. First appearance of Fury in uh, Wonder Woman three hundred. Um, and this month, Dial Twice for Thrills and Adventure. DC Comics presents has Dial H for Hero, and they become uh, they are also in starting in the, as a backup feature in Superboy. And as we discussed on Back to the Bins a couple weekends ago, or weeks ago. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Dial S for snooze. Yep. (laughs) Dial F for fuck you. Um, You want to take a trip in the time machine? Yes. To uh, Mike's, Mike's... I don't know what's wrong with my voice tonight. It keeps going out on me. To Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. It's that second puberty hit, man. It's a bit, I'm telling you. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> reminds me of this dude I worked with uh, when I worked for Flash Foods. He had triple adenoids in his throat. So he, kind of, he, he was kindly, constantly talking like this. <sighs> Fucker cost me 70 bucks, too, because... He's one. Of, he, he, he apparently this is what this guy did. He was wanted, and he would go and work in an area for ninety days before his social security number would be checked again to see if he's working anywhere. And he would run, but we caught him before he was managing to run. And that week before we caught him, there were shortages in all everybody's drawer, 
And basically, Flash Foods at the time was, if there's a shortage in your drawer, you have to pay for it out of your own check. So they took 70 bucks out of my check to make up for what this guy stole. Even though they figured out later that he stole it, I was still ultimately responsible for it. Well, that's fucked up. So, but yeah, they caught him. They caught him backed up to the uh, dumpster putting uh, 12 packs of beer and all kinds of supplies in his car, and we called the police. He went to jail. Uh, so, uh, first cover the, ice- the The moral of that story, folks, is don't have a shortage in your drawers. Um, we have the year's best comic <laughs> stories. That's a way homer, I guess. <laughs> no, I got it. I'm just... It's just not funny. On. Okay, all right. Um, that year's best comic stories has a really cool Superman and a really cool Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex, it sure does. Which Jonah Hex story is this? The by haunting. The- oh yes, yes, that's that one I was telling you about not long ago. Damn good story. Um, I I think off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure that's my favorite Jonah Hex story. Uh, Rick, Rich Buckler draws both Batman and Detectives covers. They look pretty cool. They're both Two-Face related. Mm-hmm. I like those a lot. The, um... Where is it? Superman Family number 217. Do you know who he's fighting on that cover? Let's see here. The Michelin Man. That is the Earth 2 Metallo. Oh, Really? It was based on a character in a Golden Age story, and they finally resolved it in this issue. That's a Mr. and Mrs. Superman story. Ah, oh, I like that cover, though. That's that's ah, oh, that's cool. I don't think I have that issue. I do now. Yay. Oh, yes. Hey, we're going to be trading some issues Gloat, soon. gloat, gloat. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Hell yeah. Um, last issue of The Phantom Zone, where Charlie and, and Clark switch outfits for some... Weird role-playing. Superman Uh, beats the piss out of General Zod in that issue. I love it. Yeah. You know, because I'm of the opinion that Superman angry all the time is just not in character. But to me, the most effective uses of Superman when he's angry is when he's just had enough of your shit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think that's the very first time... As a kid, I ever read a story where Superman was scary because in the end of that story, that's exactly what happens. He completely loses his shit and he tells Zod, I'm going to fucking kick your ass. And if I happen to kill you in the process, so be it. And he proceeds to just beat the living shit out of Zod. And it was great. But as a kid reading that, there was a there was a, a, a very strong element of. Wow, you know, Superman's fucking scary when he loses his temper. You it's know, like when you see your dad yelling at somebody. Well, I saw my dad yelling at people all the time. So. <laughs> there were very few times where I saw my dad get to the point where he was about to beat someone's ass, and it was right. always like, "Okay, I know he's not mad at me, but I'm still scared." Yeah. <laughs> that George Perez cover of World's Finest is fucking awesome. Yep. And, and I've said it before, and I'll repeat it here. Much prefer Perez pre-1995 Superman, mm-hmm. uh, especially in, in the pre-crisis era where he was leaner, kind of kind of like the updated Kurt Swan Superman. 
mm-hmm. what we needed. But we're going to get letters on that again, so I'm going to stop that line of. <laughs> but to me, those those are pretty much the cooler the cooler covers. I like the Superman. Oh, the Action Comics number five thirty. That's a great story too. I don't remember that one. I know I have that issue. I just can't remember what what goes on in that one. Superman, I had... Superman tries to turn Brainiac to good. Ah, really solid story. What do you got? I got a one here. Let's see. Legion of Superheroes number two eighty six. Fantastic cover here by uh, Pat Broderick. Hell but yeah. this is this is also the issue that uh, sees the first work of um, Paul Levitz and Keith Giffen together on Legion of Superheroes. It's actually a backup tale, but that's where uh, the the classic run begins right there with that issue. I do like the name of this first story, though. Old Friends, New Relatives, and Other Corpses. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great title. What's what's kind of a shame, too, is that backup story that does kick off the... uh, classic Levitz and Giffen run, not very good. It's a Princess Projectra story, and I, I never gave a crap about <laughs> Princess Projectra. Maybe that's just me, but I just never really cared for that one. What else? There was something else here that caught my eye, too, and now I forget. No, I guess that was about it. We got uh, another part. I don't remember if it was two parts or if it was an ongoing thing or what but we got another part of the story with uh wonder woman that features that goofy ass captain wonder dude he's just <laughs> wrong like he is hmm? wrong he is wrong what, what's uh do you like that jonah hex issue i think that's the one i could be wrong but i think that's the one where he may catch back up with uh with his wife I'm almost positive, but I don't want to give too much away about that because that's coming down the road after a bit for my uh, for my Jonah Hex listeners. So I don't I don't want to spoil things. Jonah Hex dies. <laughs> isn't that also a Perez cover? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Or is it not? Uh, maybe not. Yeah, it is. It's a George Perez cover on uh, Justice League of America too, where he's getting punched by Ultra. Okay, I'm not a big fan of Joe Kubert, neither are you, but that cover to G.I. Combat is kind of cool. Let's take a look here. Eh. With the with the robot Nazis mm-hmm. or whatever they are, yeah. That's, that's kind of, it's like, okay. okay. I have one problem with that Justice League of America cover. What's that? It's got fucking Ultra on it. <laughs> yeah, he's goofy as hell. I hate Ultra. Yeah. Ultra broke the one promise that we were given about Earth Prime, that there were no superheroes. and uh, He opened the doorway, yep. Yeah. Well, that's all I got. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much all I got, too. That's not a bad cover on uh, on Green Lantern right there. Who did that one? Oh, it's Joe Satan. That's not too bad. That uh, my massive cranium. <laughs> yeah, he does have a great big bald head, doesn't he? Oh, I like this one on New Teen Titans uh, number 18, too, or Red Star, whatever the Batter hell is. is Starfire, he's going to just swat the piss out of Robin with that, that stone column. That's a pretty cool one. Yeah. So, unfortunately, as we have um, had to say every episode, this issue of All-Star Squadron has not been reprinted. <sighs> it makes me sad. It does. It's just wrong. DC, what the hell, man? 
I'd buy it. I'd buy a trade just to support it. I really would. Not even kidding. Of course, why would I kid about such a thing? That's a pretty stupid thing to kid about. So. <laughs> Next week, All-Star Squadron number nine. Yes! Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell, called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Longbox, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos. We love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to Tales of the JSA at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. Remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember Pearl Harbor and go on to victory. He was a hero to some, a villain to others, and wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex, but he did have two companions. One was death itself, the other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex Podcast. Available Thursdays at two truefreaks.libson.com. 
while attending a demonstration in radiology. Student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider, which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers, and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents... Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, The Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Riley should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all of its controversy? Then return with us to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man Classics at Amazing Spider-Man. Dot Libsyn dot com. To him, life is a great big pain. Wherever there's a pain, you'll find the Spider Man. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Hi, my name is Paul Spataro. Back in 2004, my family lost my older brother Michael to pancreatic cancer. Before Michael was diagnosed with this disease, I really didn't know too much about it. But the truth of the matter is, it's a devastating disease, and in general, once somebody is diagnosed with it, it's too late to actually help them. I've learned that pancreatic cancer is the nation's fourth leading cause of cancer death and that the survival rate for the disease has not improved in 25 years. I also learned about the Lustgarden Foundation. That's a foundation that's named after a man named Mark Lustgarden. Mr. Lustgarden was a high-ranking executive in the company of Cablevision and when he was diagnosed with the disease... Despite the fact that he was a wealthy man, there was nothing that could be done, and unfortunately, he passed away from the disease as well. Moved by that loss, Cablevision has started a foundation in his honor, and they've generously underwritten all expenses of that foundation so that any fundraising efforts can be used strictly towards research of pancreatic cancer. I learned of the Garden Foundation shortly after my brother passed away, and I started that year walking in its Long Island fundraiser walk. And I've walked every year since. This year the walk is going to be on July 25th. 
I will be walking along with my wife, my son, my daughter, my mother, my sister, and other family members. We walk as Team Spataro in an effort to raise funds, raise awareness, and to honor my brother. I hope you would consider donating to this worthwhile cause. There will be a link to our team page on this podcast's homepage. Please consider clicking on that link and donating. And keep in mind, no amount is too small. There will be people who donated very, very generously, but don't be swayed by that. Any amount will help and brings us that much closer to a cure. Nobody should have to suffer the way my brother did, and I hope that one day, through the efforts of the Lust Garden Foundation, all such suffering can be ended. I thank you for your consideration.